0: One of the things that I've always been fascinated with is lighthouses. I remember years ago when we were out on the East Coast, we drove down the coast of Maine and down into Massachusetts and we saw different lighthouses. And I must admit there are some that are very elegant. Uh, There are some that are kind of just doing their purpose. We know nowadays you don't need lighthouses because we have GPS and things of that nature that guide ships away from dangerous areas. But I remember going on a tour of one particular lighthouse and I don't remember the location of it, but I remember the tour and I remember the lighthouse. Because they take you inside and they let you see the light and all the the things that are associated with that. You get to see the living quarters for the lighthouse keeper and the people that work there. They took us down and showed us one of the lifeboats that they had, big lifeboat. They showed us how many people that it would hold. They took us outside and they showed us the boathouse where they kept that lifeboat. And it had rails actually built down to the water where they could take that boat real quick if they needed it and wheel it down there and it would be in the water before you know it. They told us that the lighthouse keeper and his uh, helpers had to walk up and down that coastline from where that lighthouse was four miles. And they did that every single day multiple times a day. Looking for wreckage, looking for people that might have washed ashore, looking for someone that needed to be rescued. They showed us a harpoon type of system where they'd shoot it out to a ship that was sinking or was in trouble, and it would shoot the line out there and people would slide across that line like a zip line over to safety. I thought, wow, you know, that's pretty impressive, all of the things that they've done. You know me, they ask questions. They ask if anybody had questions. And so I said, yeah, I have a question. How many people were saved from the efforts of this lighthouse and their crew? They said not one single person did they have a record of that they had ever rescued or saved. This morning in Bible class, we were looking at one of the parables that Jesus gave. And in the, middle of that par- in the middle of that parable, verse 8 of Luke chapter 16, it says, "...for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light." I sometimes wonder when we look at things like that, when we see what people will go to to try to save a physical life, are they wiser than we are? When we fail to do what God has asked us to do in rescuing those that are perishing. They do it to save a physical life. and Obviously, we know how important that physical life is. But we also should know how important it is to save a soul. And why is that? Because people that are lost in sin are dying. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so... Who are, who's really wiser when you think about if we're not making efforts to go out and save the lost? Yes, I know that we, we do house to house, and I know that we're on the Internet, and I know that there's a lot of good things that we can do, but what are we doing as individuals? Do we see the need ourselves to walk up and down that uh, spiritual coast to see there are souls that need to be rescued? Are we willing to jump in a lifeboat and jump out there and do what is necessary to save someone's soul that is lost in sin? The Bible tells us that God doesn't want anyone to be lost. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 9, it says, "...the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." We learn from that passage of Scripture that God wants people to be saved. You say, well, why didn't He just save them all? Because He wants you to be saved. He wants you to want to be saved. And so He tells us what we need to do to be saved, but He also tells us, those of us that are in that saved condition, what we are responsible to do in taking the Gospel to the world. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, it tells us about God's desire, it says, and who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. The truth is what sets people free. It's not a compromised truth. It's not a truth that's had something added to it or taken away from it. It's the pure, unadulterated truth of God's word. That's what will save people's souls. Brother, we should not ever be ashamed of that gospel message. We should be more than willing to share that good news with people that are in a lost condition. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That faith that we are obedient to moves us to do what the Lord tells us to do. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago in our lesson talking about faith. And when you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and you look at some of the Old Testament examples, you can see that those individuals that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 were moved by the Word of God. God told them, like Noah for instance, to build an ark out of gopher wood. And by faith Noah did exactly what God told him to do. That faith was produced from the Word of God. And that Word of God that we have today, the written Word of God, is what produces faith in our life. We either trust it or we don't. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who do not want to accept it. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. That Gospel message is the same message that Paul was not ashamed of. And that you and I should not be ashamed of. And that you and I should want to tell the people in this world that are lost what they need to do because that Gospel shares that good news of how to be saved. Jude, as we look in these verses, Jude urges God's people to become the instruments by which God rescues those who are perishing. In dealing with the lost The approach will be really based upon the condition of the lost person. Sometimes we like to lump everybody into one category, but when you look at people that are lost out there in the world, there are different conditions that they find themselves in. First, we can find that there are doubters, and Jude talks about that in verse 22. Their unbelief condemns them to being lost. Because their unbelief keeps them from trusting and obeying what the Lord tells us that we must do. In John chapter 3, verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Very plain, simple Scripture that we see there, that we either believe in Jesus, we obey Him, or we're going to be lost. It's just that simple. And there's a lot of people that doubt this Bible. There's a lot of people that doubt that God exists. We have to be able to deal with those individuals. We have to be able to help them to see the light of God's Word. Those who do not believe that Jesus is God's Son and the Savior of the world are going to die in their sins. And what a sad situation that is to find people in because they doubt what the Bible teaches. John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. What do we see there in Romans? The wages of sin is death. That's spiritual separation from God. And who wants to be separated from God? And so, we, one of the things that we need to do is to help individuals to see that this book is reliable, that we can trust it, that it is God's Word. Some doubters or some doubt because they've not been under the power of the gospel, they haven't seen or heard those words. A lot of times, people doubt because based upon what they've heard someone else say about the Bible. It's not really their own determination. They're just listening to someone else. It can't be real. And they haven't heard the truth of God's Word. They haven't opened the pages of God's Word and read it and studied it. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13-17, through it says, "...for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher?" And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. People need to hear that gospel message and then they need to make that determination themselves. And maybe they doubt, but hopefully you can help them to overcome that doubt by seeing the truth of God's word. And I believe that there's many evidences found in the Bible that gives us proof that God is faithful to His word, and that we can trust Him, and that His word is reliable. Yes, we do have to accept it by faith, but I believe that there's enough evidence there, so it's not a blind faith that the Lord wants us to have. The evidence is there. And we need to accept it and we need to believe it ourselves, for one, so that we can share that good news with someone else. You see, the person that's a sincere doubter, they need people who are patiently working, or that will patiently work with them to lead them to become believers, to help them to see the truth of God's Word. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 4 says, How be it says, Howbeit many of them that heard the word believed, and the number of the men were about 5,000. They heard that message. What were they before? They were lost. They heard that message. They believed that message. In Acts chapter 2, we know on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the gospel sermon on that day. They cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then it goes on. He tells them what they need to do repent and be baptized. But then he goes on with, and it says, With many other words did he testify encourage them to exhort yourselves and save yourselves from this untoward generation. They needed to do something themselves, so they hated that message. They heard it. And then they were obedient to it because they believed the message. In chapter 18, and verse 8, it says at Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all of His house and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. What did they believe before that? Were they doubters that Jesus was the Messiah? There were many people in the times of Jesus' day, after he died on the cross, we can see where they doubted that Jesus was the Messiah, but yet there was evidence. In 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, Paul gives us the evidence, talks about who all had seen Jesus, and how many there were still some that day, at that point in time, that were still alive, that had seen Jesus alive after the resurrection. And so there was ample proof. And people needed to heed it. Thomas doubted uh, doubted Jesus' resurrection from the dead. However, the evidence convinced him. In John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands a print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Can you imagine Thomas doubting that Jesus had risen from the dead and living with that doubt all that period of time until the next time that Jesus appeared? Because it goes on in verse 26 and it says, "...and after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the door being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you." Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hands, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God." And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Brother, we haven't seen Jesus. But we see him through the scripture. And we see Thomas's doubt, and what an unfortunate case for him, because he's known more for for his doubt than anything else that he ever did. That's unfortunate. Because when you look at the disciples and you look at their history, you can see most of them died as martyrs. They gave their life for the cause of Christ. John is one exception to that, but he was exiled. But we see that they were willing to give their lives. i think people don't die for a lie. They'll, buy, they'll die for a cause. They'll, buy, they'll die for something that's truthful. Something that they can stand for. But the disciples, they, they did not die for a, law, a lie. They died because they knew what Jesus did, what He was, and what He came for. So let us never underestimate the power of God uh, through His Word when it is applied to human hearts, honest hearts. Remember what Jesus said in the parable of the sower. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 18, and verse 15, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the Word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. We have to work at softening up that heart and helping that individual to see the truth of God's Word. They may be doubters, and there's nothing wrong with doubting as long as you are honest and seeking the right answers. And sometimes even as Christians, we have doubts. But what do we do when we have those doubts? We try to find the answer. And therefore, we have to have the faith when God's Word is there. Why? Because God's Word is powerful. As Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, "...for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joy and and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart." So there are people that are in a lost condition. And they're in that condition because of their doubts. They doubt God's Word. They doubt that Jesus is who He claimed to be. But they still have a soul that needs to be rescued. And so we need to figure out a way to help them to understand that God's Word is something that we can rely upon. And the promises that He's made is something that is real. And also that the consequences of sin are real. The Jew talks about another kind that has to be snatched. Verse 23. You see, some people are very close to hell. They're very close to being eternally separated from God. You see, sin dominates in their life, it controls their life. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 20. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth not walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feelings have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned. Unfortunately for many people in the world, sin dominates their life. They live in a dangerous and uncertain world. The Bible tells us not to not to rely upon heaven tomorrow. In Proverbs chapter 27 verse 1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Brethren, people that are caught up in sin that are that, that dominates their life, they're living in a situation where if they die, they're going to be lost. And brethren, we need to wake up to that. There's people that we care about, we love, uh, friends, family, neighbors, whatever it may be. We realize the situation that they're in. Don't wait until they're under deathbed. Talk to them now. We realize that life is short. James tells us that in James chapter four, verses thirteen through seventeen, where he says, "Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we shall go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get game." Whereas ye know not what shall be on tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeared for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore in him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Brother, we need to realize that life is short. We have no promise of tomorrow. And a lot of times we talk about that. We understand that death is going to come. And we look at it as way down the road. But you know, there's a lot of other things that can happen in our life that can render us incapable of making a sound decision in obeying the Gospel. This life is uncertain. We have no promise of the next minute. And some people are old. Let's face it. Some people that are dominated by sin are, are old people. And they need to hear the words of the truth and they're close to eternity. They're close to being lost. And their eternal destiny, whether they're young or old, if they die in that condition, will not change. That destiny will not change. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, And as it is appointed of the men wants to die, but after this, the judgment. We all have that appointment before us somewhere. Someday, sometime. Don't wait until the last minute to make that decision to obey the gospel because you may not have that last minute. We don't say those things to try to scare people. That's just the reality of life. I'm sure all of us have had people that have passed in our own lives that we didn't expect it. We just got a call one day and they were gone, they died. So it's a reality and we know that it's true. So what do we do for those people? We share the Gospel message with them. You say, well, they're not going to change. Well, let them be the decider of that. Let them decide whether or not they're going to change because they might. Who would have thought the Apostle Paul would have been an individual who would change? Who would have thought someone like Peter or even Thomas or some of the others that we can read about in the Bible that they would change? But they did. People can change today if we'll share that message with them. Look at Paul. He tried to snatch Felix from the fire. In Acts chapter 24, verse 25, it says, And he reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. And Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way this time, or for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Sometimes people get upset when you try to point out the realities of life that death is going to come. And they say, well, you shouldn't use scare tactics. You shouldn't tell people that. You want them to just obey the Gospel you know, in a good way. You shouldn't try to scare them. Well, I don't think that's the purpose of our words. But notice what it says there. He reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come. If you're in a lost condition and you're hearing the words of truth from someone that you have confidence in, and I believe Felix kind of trusted Paul in a way. When you talk about the judgment with people, that's a scary subject. And look at the reaction that he had. Felix what? He trembled. Why did he tremble? Because he heard some things that scared him. There's some things that were frightening about his life that he needed to change, but I'll wait a little longer. I'll wait for some other time. And we'll hear those kind of things from people today. As we talked about on the day of Pentecost, Peter urged his people, those people on that day, to save themselves. They had something that they needed to do. Verses 39 through 41 of Acts chapter 2, it says, For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They gladly received it. Now, do you think that there was only about three thousand people assembled on that day? No. There were some that heard that message and walked away. But those about three thousand souls heard it and they believed it and they did something about it. We dare not wait until that until the lost person is at the end of their life. We need to be concerned about their soul. We need to remind remind people, and we need to live like it ourselves that today is the day of salvation. We sing a song and today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow, what? It may be too late. It may be. And it may not even be tomorrow. It might be the end of the day. It might be the next hour where it's too late. Today is the day that the lost need to be saved. And today is the day that as Christians, we need to seek the lost and try to save them. But there's also a third group of people that Jude talks about. And they were deep into sin. And he tells the people that are the rescuers that they need to be careful. That they need to fear. Because there are some who are lost that must be rescued with fear. That is, the faithful saint must be careful lest he or she... Be led into sin. Some have tried to rescue people that are drowning. We hear about it on the news, or on a uh, occasionally, where someone's drowning out in the water. Someone else that's healthy and knows how to swim, they swim out to that individual, and they're going to rescue that individual, only to drown themselves. And that's kind of the picture, I think, that we need to see here. That we have to be careful. That person that's going out to rescue, you got to be careful because that person can grab you, hold you, and pull you down. When you're dealing with someone that's very deep into sin, you have to be afraid yourself that you don't fall into the same category as they are. That they don't pull you into the world. That they don't pull you into their sin. That you're not tempted. Because... As Paul warns us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, <clears throat> lest thou also be tempted. Not every Christian is spiritually equipped with a knowledge and enough of the scripture to rescue those who have been overtaken in a false doctrine. Many times the teachers of false doctrine are very clever. They can manipulate the Scripture and they can make it sound good. And so if you're not skilled in God's Word, if you don't know God's Word, they can pull you into that same category with them and you'll be lost. Don't let that happen. Those who are equipped to rescue those involved in immorality must have the attitude that I don't like sin. I hate sin. What you're doing is wrong. But you still have to remember there's a soul at stake. And when we go into those situations where someone's caught up in some immoral activity and you go to that individual, you need to be careful that you don't get sucked into that and compromise the truth by condoning their actions. Saying, oh, I understand. It's okay. If it's sin, it's sin, and that's what we need to understand. They may feel that you're too tough, but you need to show them what God's Word says. Because remember, it's the pow- that God's Word is the power of God unto salvation, that gospel message. And people that go back into the world and get deep into sin, and those that are in the world already and are deep into sin. You need to be skilled in God's Word. You need to know God's Word so that you can deal with those that are caught up in those things. One motivation for seriously trying to lead the lost to Christ is the realization that lost people are perishing. You talk about that Lighthouse and those individuals that worked there? What would you think of those individuals? If there was a ship that was out there in distress, and people were falling overboard and drowning, and they just sat in their chairs and looked out there and said, yep, yeah, they're there. Let somebody else go get them. When they were capable of doing it themselves, what would you say to that? A lot of people would want those individuals put in jail. They'd want them to go to court. They wanted something to happen to them. There should be consequences for that. Well, unfortunately, there's consequences for us when we're not doing what we're supposed to do also. We're going to be held accountable. We need to ask ourselves, whose children are wiser? Those in the world? Or those in the kingdom of God? Which one are we behaving like? Which one are you behaving like? Which one am I behaving like? In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. Who's blinding them? The devil's blinding them. We have to figure out a way to help those individuals to see the light of God's truth when we share that message with them. God's faithful people are the instruments that He uses to seek and to save those that are lost. What are you doing? I don't believe you have to be out there on a street corner. I don't believe that you have to convert thousands of people or be instrumental in in, in their conversion. That one person that you may come in contact with, that one person that you may have an opportunity to share the gospel with, you need to seize that opportunity. Don't wait for somebody else to swim out and rescue them. You need to be working at rescuing them yourselves. You say, Well, I don't know enough of Scripture. Well then you need to study. You need to get into God's Word and read it. Come to Bible class. Come to the assemblies. Come when we're having something that helps to build people up. Become stronger in God's Word. God's people are is that instrument that God uses. Are you being used for the cause of Christ? If you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.